Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. It's hard to believe uh, we have another clinic yet again today. These have just marched on year after year after year. We have a lot of interesting data, and this is a clinic unusual in the sense that we're going to delve deeply into the actual testing process. The title is Bad Data, the three validity threats that make your tests look conclusive when they're deeply flawed. In fact, I just want to say this as we go into the whole clinic as it has been uh, prepared and the research and the briefings that we uh, will share with you. It's been my experience, having been engaged in the net back when it was still, uh, well, prior to the World Wide Web, prior to HTML, that I've watched the whole notion of testing become a part of uh, the expectations uh, uh, associated with any marketing effort. I remember in the early days when almost no one was testing. We were insisting that you needed to test. And it's been encouraging to see marketers everywhere test. And in our latest benchmark study released uh, at Marketing Sherpa, we saw that uh, people and companies everywhere are engaged in optimization work and even developing new positions within their organization dedicated to optimization. Still, when I talk to optimization leaders within these companies, when I review the data sets from tests all over the world, I see a common problem. Almost no one is truly testing against those validity threats which can inhibit the quality of your data and thus uh, leave you in a position where you're trying to make a decision with flawed assumptions. What I'm trying to say is I think perhaps 75 to 80 percent of all the tests being run on the Internet right now have validity threats that are undetected. Now this is a significant problem and so as I start to get into this, uh, the briefing with you and show you examples of what I'm talking about, I want to really uh, sober my audience. Forgive me if I'm a bit intense or passionate about this, but there's nothing worse than making a confident decision with poor data. It's one thing, it's almost better if you don't test at all, if you can't test properly, because without the false set of, or the false sense of confidence that uh, poor data can give you, you're more careful. But give a marketer clear data that suggests path X is best, then that marketer has every reason to jump in with a lot of budget and a lot of effort and, and drive in a direction that could be actually costing them millions and millions of dollars. I'm glad that marketers all over the Internet have awakened to the fact that testing is so significant. But I'm worried that we're doing it in uh, sloppy ways without proper training. Now, I want to balance that. You don't have to be a scientist to run good tests. In fact, if you're on this call today and you say, look, we just feel lucky we're testing, then this, this whole uh, clinic is still for you. Because ordinary people who are determined to do this right without a Ph.D. in statistics or in some related discipline should be able to run effective, useful tests. But you need to know some fundamentals that make that possible. So I, as always, will 
will wade right into a case study and show you an example, a very recent example, but I'd just like to invite you to pay careful attention as we go forward because I think we're touching something right now that is virtually a plague. Our study at Sherpa tells us that only 40% of the people running uh, tests are even doing the basics of, that, of uh, sample size or confidence intervals. I mean, the, the reality is that core essential aspect of testing isn't even being done. And yet those who do have no idea about instrumentation effect perhaps or historic effect or could give me a proper definition or recognize it in a data set. So stay tuned. We're going to spend the rest of this time investing every single moment doing everything we can do to increase your understanding of how to run effective tests where you have safe data sets that will allow you to make solid decisions. You can use a hashtag web clinic uh, throughout this presentation to communicate with your peers. And I'm joined today by uh, two of the experts on our team. One of them is a, a senior editorial analyst, Austin McCraw. You've probably heard Austin on other clinics. He is one of the most knowledgeable people we have here with regards to the methodology. And he's deeply engaged right now with me in a book on value propositions. And uh, I'm also joined by Philip Porter. You probably haven't heard from Philip a lot. He is um, one of the big brains that hides in the back room and crunches data all day long. Uh, he has a small title that does not adequately capture the big job he must do. I have seen him and one of his colleagues, Bob Kemper, turn a box of numbers into a uh, wealth of insights, and that is no small task. So he's really a statistician, a mathematician, and an expert in this area, and he's going to help us. And so with uh, Philip and Austin, we move straight to a case study. This was a recent study done in conjunction with our latest optimization summit. HubSpot teamed up with Marketing Experiments and the Optimization Summit audience to create a treatment for uh, basically an email offer landing page. And it offered a free chapter of a Marketing Sherpa LPO benchmark report. The goal was to increase HubSpot's knowledge of their current email list as well as to grow it. So we wanted more people to take the download so we could capture more names. So we were looking for an increase, an increase in uh, conversion rates associated with the landing page that would help us get the most possible email addresses. So, keeping that in mind, we designed the test around our classic type of uh, question which focuses on a which factor, i.e. which landing page will result in uh, more chapter downloads. And here is the control. I want you to watch this carefully because I'm going to be asking you for some feedback. And uh, with me is Austin. And I'm going to let Austin just kind of take you through the, uh, the design of this experiment. I'll just tell you the challenge. How do you get 200 plus marketers to, uh, to agree on a treatment? And, uh, and to actually produce together something that's in testable format where we might get something with statistical confidence. So go ahead, Austin. Yeah, let me just uh, up the ante there a little bit. There were a couple more challenges to throw on top of trying to get 200 marketers to agree. Uh, one of those is the fact that we were somewhat limited in our testability here, what we could test. Uh, I mean, the, one of the first things we'd want to test on the page like this is the amount of form fields. But that was the first constraint we gave the audience, the marketers. You, you can't change the number of form fields. You're going to have to work around that. Yes. Another big constraint or challenge really is that, um, and it's almost hard to believe, but the motivation coming to this page was incredibly high. 
Uh, we'll show you in a minute, but the conversion rates were somewhere in the upper 40s at this point. Uh, so what that means is there's one out of every two people coming to this page is converting. And when you have motivation levels that high, it becomes very challenging to increase the performance. It's very, very and even if you do, you typically see the increase in tiny increments. Yes. Because, yep. again, and, and just to point this out for those of you that are familiar with this, remember 4M equals 3V plus 2I minus F minus 2A. 4, that coefficient in front of M, is closely connected to what Austin just said. Incoming motivation is the highest factor in terms of your conversion rate. Keep going on. Yeah, so what we did is we broke the audience out into groups of three. Then we begin to give them variables in which they could vote for values for those variables. What, what I mean by that is, so for instance, we break the page into the, to the headline, right? So you can test the headline, and here are the four options you have for that headline. And so they would have to debate amongst themselves in the groups and figure out which headline they thought would perform best. So for instance, in this example, they chose option number three. Another uh, variable that we tested was the call to action. Um, you, you really don't have to get all the options here, but we just want to kind of give you a sense of the process. But they selected, I think, option number one. Yep. We also tested the image. Here are the four options we gave them. They chose option number three. The copy, this was a very interesting part of it. Uh, we gave them four options of copy as well. We, the control was long copy. We gave them the option that was short copy. Uh, there were two other options. Uh, one was just bullets only. Then we kind of had this radical option where it was just an excerpt of the chapter and it would say read more. Uh, they chose actually went with short copy for that. And the final uh, variable that we let them test here was the layout of the page. You can see two layouts here, control option one. And there's two more that they were able to choose from, two and three, and they chose option number three. So combining that all together, this is the page that they produced. You can see the headline. You can see the copy. You can see the images. If you go down to the bottom of the page, you can see the call to action. Let's look at these right. pages side by side. So uh, taking a look now, you should be able to see the control and you should be able to see the treatment. Um, and I'd like to just take a moment and I'd like to exclude you if you were at this event so that we could get a fairly uh, accurate sampling from our audience. But I'd like to invite you to use the Q&A feature to vote for the control or the treatment. Now, I just want to warn you, there is no trick here. The statistical difference will be small. And we'd like you to vote right now to tell us which one, A or control or treatment. Just type it in. Sally says it's the control. Treatment says Bryant. Treatment says another. Control, treatment, control, control, treatment, control. <laughs> the audience is... Is, uh, is quite divided on this. It looks to me like about a 50-50 set of votes coming in. Treatment, control, treatment, 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 control, control. Now you know how hard it is to get marketers to agree on a uh, design. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that we've done. Why your votes are coming in that I think you'd find interesting is we've often shown marketers uh, these kinds of samples before and use polling features and have them tell us which particular treatment will, or will be the winner or which particular design and in almost every case, in fact, we ran two major studies on marketer intuition. And in the first one, over 70% of the marketing audience chose the wrong controller treatment. Uh, the, the second test that we ran uh, almost a year later produced almost the same uh, error ratio. It's quite fascinating. It only points to the need to test. But this is particularly hard. So if you voted control or treatment, we understand. Now, I will tell you this. Overall, uh, I think the treatment has a better look and feel than the control, but with motivation levels this high, uh, it, it hardly matters. Um, in fact, what would be interesting would be to add form fields, and the test I'd want to run would be to see what I could get away with without impacting conversion. 
it might be that when you have a level this high of motivation, the best thing to do is to actually increase your friction and try to get more accomplished in terms of your customer theory. That is, you know, learning about your customer so you can make more intelligent decisions in your marketing. Are you ready yet to see the results? We want to show them to you because they set up much of what you need to learn today. So here is the data set. Well, uh, the treatment imp improved conversion by a whopping 0.7%. Uh, and, uh, and, and again, uh, like Flint was saying, the motivation levels are pretty high. Uh, a 1% increase on this would be, would be great. Uh, we've seen 1% conversion rates or increases produce millions of dollars in the yes. past. Yes. Uh, I will say this, and, and, and the reason why you see that level of confidence bar at the bottom is because when we, when we started this test, we decided that we wanted a 95% statistical conf level of confidence. Yes. And at this point, at the end of the test, all we had was a 90%. Now, if you're tuned in and this is your first event, you're liable to be saying to yourself, this is, the, this is you know, not that dramatic a difference. If you've been to any Mech Labs events, marketing experiments events before, this is probably the smallest lift we have ever demonstrated. But the point is not the lift. We have only told half the story. So listen carefully. In fact, watch what I'm going to show you next. It represents the two designs, the control and the treatment. The, the control is the blue line. The treatment is the red line. And I want you to notice uh, at the bottom are, is the actual day. This was a very, very short test. And uh, because it had to be, we were, we were announcing the results of the event. And so we needed uh, a test that endeared enough traffic that we could actually reach a level of confidence in a short period of time. And hour by hour, you should start to see 150, 250, 350. This is from the beginning all the way through. And watch what's happening. Watch while one is winning and then the other is winning. And this is going out throughout the day. Now, if you are ex experienced with data, when you see these two lines represented in graph form, something should be bothering you. In fact, I invite you to look right now and see what you can determine that might indicate there is a problem somewhere in the design of this test. While you're thinking about that, I'm going to go back to Austin and I'm going to let Austin uh, just kind of point out uh, what we see in the underlying data. Yeah, let me just uh, also say something kind of personal Personal here. I, um, I, I'm normally working with content here at Marketing Experiments. I rarely get to kind of get my hands in dirty running a test. This is like one of the first times I got to do it. For me, this was kind of like a roller coaster ride. I mean, it was like when we first launched the test, the treatment was winning. It was like a 3% increase in conversion. It, it was like an 87% confidence level. We went to bed that night. We came back the next day, and the results had completely flopped. And so what, the reason I say that is because uh, that when you have something like that happening, when you have your results flopping like that, that's generally, and, and what I learned was it's, it's often an indicator that there's, there's, a, there's a pretty decent validity threat with your test. Something's going on that is affecting your test. It's affecting the results. So let's look at the data. If you were to get past those graphs and dig down deep, you'd see something like this. Yeah, and what we, what, we, what we learned here, what we noticed as we kind of try to pinpoint those, those moments where the conversion rate dropped for the treatment particularly, uh, what we saw in the data is that, you know, we were supposed to be splitting the traffic 50-50. But in those periods of time, what happened was, for some reason, all of a sudden the treatment was getting 28%, 44% more traffic than the control. And then at the end, you can see the control ended up getting, you know, 43% more traffic than the so, treatment. So because this is, a, this is one of our more technical... Uh, uh, clinics, I want you to be really clear that you understand this chart. The line, the white line with the red circles on it 
is actually representing the traffic coming to the various treatments. The split of the traffic. It's yeah. the split itself. It's the differential. And you see the big swings in traffic. Now, that led to a problem. That led to us realizing that many people were eager to see the results of this test, waiting for us to announce it, while we simply could not and would not make any pronouncement uh, that would lead to an announcement unless we understood what was going on in the data set. So uh, what was happening behind the scenes, and I'm going to take you to a final slide and let Austin tell you so we can move on, because we have a lot to teach you today. Yep. There's learning in this as well. Well, you know, just trying to figure this out, what's going on. Uh, we, we looked at possibly the splitter having an issue with it. It did not. Uh, it was running perfectly. What really had happened, and this is partly even my fault here as a kind of a newbie here at testing, is that we had not controlled the URLs for the control and the treatment. We were directing the traffic to a splitter page, which would then split, you know, 50% of the traffic this way to the control URL, 50% of the traffic to the treatment URL. Uh, what happened from there is that people, if they landed on treatment, they liked the offer, they want to share it with their friends, they would then tweet that URL. And so all of a sudden you get this flood of new people coming in through tweets, through blog posts uh, from, you know, outside of our test. They weren't going through the splitter. And uh, ironically, and the way that affects the traffic is, and what we've discovered, which is interesting learning here, is that the motivation levels for the kind of the second-hand traffic was a lot lower than the motivation for the first-hand traffic. And so the conversion rate would drop whenever the treatment received more traffic. Even though we had a 90% confidence level here, even though, you know, and there are some tools that will, if you get a 90% confidence level, it'll say, you're good to go. Launch the, launch the treatment. It, it won. Uh, even though we had that here, uh, looking at the data more specifically, we really pinpoint a pretty significant validity threat that um, we had to really throw out the test results here. We couldn't, we couldn't make any. They were not conclusive, absolutely. And, and that's part of being uh, in the position we're in here. At, at Mech Labs and marketing experiments in particular, we say every marketer should have at least two key virtues. The first one is a brutal honesty. You've got to be able to look at the numbers, and even if they aren't what you want them to be, you have to admit what they're saying. That is not easy. I see many marketing groups that struggle with that level of honesty. That means nobody gets to be the expert guru all the time because anybody that's running a good test design is going to have their basic assumptions challenged and they're not always going to be right. In fact, if every test produces a lift, you're not testing right. You're not digging down deep enough into customer motivations. You're not understanding enough to, in, in, to improve your customer theory. And so you are perhaps looking smart to your colleagues but you have uh, left way too much money on the table. The greater your customer theory, the greater your conversion rate. It's not just the test. The test is an opportunity to learn. So brutal honesty is the first trait. And the second one is a kind of uh, basic humility. You, you've got to be able to say, uh, we screwed up. And you've got to be able to say it a lot. And you've got to be able to say, I thought X was going to happen when Y happens. And say, I, just, I don't even understand it. In this case... Uh, you have a whole team of experts, you have scientists, you have analysts, but we still have an inconclusive test. And that happens, and you better be prepared for it, or you're liable to take uh, your company in the wrong direction. Let me uh, just move on. I'm going to start to teach you. There are three threats. Now, you see a slide that I think they've inserted in the deck for the upcoming summit in September and in October. I will be in Boston and in San Francisco teaching a number of our analysts. In fact, more so than we've ever had uh, are going to be involved in basic training. Now, there are all kinds of big brands that will be at this summit and your peers who are talking about their case studies. And if you know anything about a, a marketing Sherpa summit, there are no vendors and consultants up on the stage presenting or selling. Instead, it's uh, all learning. 
And it's basically a combination of two kinds of learning. You either have people presenting case studies from their own work that year where, you know, they tried a campaign and this is what happened. And it might be a marketer from IBM or a marketer from Cisco, uh, somebody at your job level talking about what they've learned. Or you have our analysts and scientists and experts actually teaching you how to do something that will improve your performance. That's coming up at these two summits. You're invited. I shall move on. But you can go to the link to find out more. In the meantime, there are three things that you need to learn in order to protect yourself. And I'm coming towards it. Here's the principles. Here's a summary of what I've said thus far and what Austin has been demonstrating. Just because a test looks conclusive doesn't mean it is conclusive. And there are these three. Now, there are other threats. In fact, if you take one of our certification programs, we'll teach you the whole set of effects. But these are the three most common effects. In fact, if you can learn these three on this clinic, you can perhaps save yourself a lot of mistakes and potentially a lot of money. And it's possible to learn enough in the next few minutes we have together to actually um, make this happen. So let's, let's move swiftly to teach the first history effect. Before I start to break it down, I'm going to ask the audience a question. So get your Q&A ready. And I want you to tell me what you believe history effect is. If you're certified, uh, just put a, a C in there so we know it's coming from one of our students. If you're, if you're not, don't put the C in there. And uh, you know, let me see what the audience thinks history effect is as you're planning a test. Uh, meanwhile, I see your questions and... Our tech team is standing by. And, and by the way, while, the, while your questions are coming in, I was working with one of our videographers this morning. We've, uh, we've, we've built a pretty cool video about what it takes to produce one of these clinics. And uh, it's going to be released soon on our site. Luke is with us today, and he's uh, controlling sound as this takes place. But it goes behind the scenes and shows you all the people working and all the literally the hundreds of hours that are invested in our clinics. And, uh, and shows you the studio and... Of course, if you see me now, I'm, as always, in a formal suit, not. Uh, wearing dress shoes, not. Uh, you'll get to see what it looks like when we're actually all sitting around here. Most of us are in flops in Florida. And uh, I'll wear my suit at the summit, but I don't wear it here very often. And so, uh, uh, you know, watch for that video. We'll release it soon. And, Luke, we should probably announce to the audience when we release it instead of leaving it just on the site, which I think is the plan, but we can talk about that. In the meantime, here's your thoughts. History. How fresh are your prospects? What have you previously sent them? How recent? Good guess, Eve. Uh, that's not the technical definition, but I'm glad. Needs to look at browsing history. Uh, have a similar test performed in the past? Uh, Marco says, Dino, D-U-N-N-O. And, uh, and so, uh, expert new visitors versus regular visitors. External factors. Uh-oh. Uh, Joffrey, uh, you're getting close. Um, let's keep going all the way down. Uh, excellent. I'm looking at your responses. Good. All right. The audience is helping me as a teacher because I'm not in a room. And I am uh, a teacher at heart. All I want to do really is do research, conduct content, and teach. Unfortunately, I have to direct an organization that gives us the capacity to do that. But uh, it only enables us. And when I look at what you're telling me right now in the audience, I see the need for what we're talking about. And it's what I expect. And if you don't know the answer, don't feel bad because you can get your MBA right now at Duke or Wharton in marketing and not know this. And I've talked to PhDs in testing who don't know these things. But what I'm going to show you right now on the history effect isn't something developed in our lab. This is classic testing theory with applications from our lab. Let's, uh, let's, let's work on it. First of all, is history effect. Here is the official definition of a history effect. It's the effect 
on a dependent variable by an extraneous variable associated with the passing of time. That is the definition that is uh, rich with meaning and also meaningless for those who haven't taken the time to work it out and parse it a word at a time. I think our writer, Paul, where's Paul? Paul's in the room here somewhere. I see him in the back. Are you monitoring Twitter, Paul, or what are you working on? Attack? Q&A. All right. Uh, Paul's monitoring Q&A, but he is the writer who helped produce uh, this particular clinic. And, uh, and Paul uh, is, uh, is a really good copywriter. And his definition is something happens in the outside world that causes flawed data in the test. Now, I don't think that'll pass the exam, uh, but I think that will uh, certainly help our audience understand in plain English what's going on here. And we're teaching you both because we really want you to have a level of expertise and recognize this, but you can focus on the second definition just to get to the pragmatic side of how do I make this happen, how do I work. So you get the idea that something from the outside is, is, is happening, it's happening in time, and because of what it's doing, it's skewing your results or potentially skewing them. With that in mind, let's look at a precise example. I'm going to move faster now. My voice is going to pick up speed. That's deliberate, so bear with me. If I go too fast, I'll slow down. But we've set it up now, and so now I want to deliver as much as I can. This is uh, an experiment from our test library. It is an old uh, experiment, and I really like it, and I remember it. Uh, online sex offender registry service. This is back when those first started coming out, and uh, we had one that we were working with. And the goal was to increase the click-through rate of uh, paid search advertisement. This is a service that allows you to see the names and the criminal record associated with anyone in your neighborhood that might be a sexual predator. And uh, all you have to do is put your zip code in and they come, you know, there's a list of the, of the records and they update you when sexual predators move into your neighborhood. And, and, uh, and so that's what the service was. We were looking for a headline that would produce more, more click-through. So, we have four ads. Please look at them. Child predator registry. Is your child safe? Predators in your area. And find child predators. Now, you may analyze these paid search ads and try to determine which one is best. In fact, take a look. Lock down your mind which one you think will be best. You don't have to vote, but you can. But just take a look and kind of get a sense which one you think will produce. Uh, we were on a split testing platform the test was conducted for seven days, and we had 55,000 potential actions to measure. What does that tell us? Well, look, here's the problem. <laughs> During the test, Dateline aired a special call to catch a predator. It was viewed by 10 million people. The words uh, predator became the key term associated with sex offender. Now, let's go backward. You see, is your child safe? You've seen find child predator, predators in your area, and child predator registry. And then look in the copy. Identify sex offenders. Identify sex offenders. All the same except the headline. But we have three of these headlines. See, child predator. We have three of these headlines with the word predator in them. What was the result? Well, in the two days following the Dateline special, there was a spike in click-through. But a relative difference between those ads with predator in the headline and those without predator of 133%. So in effect, now here it is in bold, that same technical definition, but at least it's in context. So in effect, an extraneous variable, that's the dateline special, associated with the passage of time, that's the test cycle, jeopardized the validity of your experiment. That's the data that you see on the screen. 
This is an example of history effect. And if you've tuned into this right now, you're probably learning history effect for the first time and not recognizing that a lot of the activities going on around you in the media, on YouTube, and throughout the Internet can have an impact on the validity of your test. Some of you are in publicly traded companies whose names are constantly in the press and the papers, not recognizing that even the press itself on the outside could have a significant impact in what's going on within your testing. Now, you probably want to know what you can do to prevent this. And I want to suggest to you that I have a very limited time. I don't have eight hours to teach. And so what we've done is extract practical, simple things that you can do. So you may want to make a note of these. These are ways to protect yourself against history effect. First of all, you need to make sure everyone in your company knows that you're testing. At least everyone, if it's a small organization, uh, make everyone in your company know. In, within a large company, make sure that the right people know. If you don't, you can have activities taking place at the same time that are hurting you. Number two, if possible, don't just wait and look at your test at the end, but track the data day by day so you can determine any anomalies in the patterns. Number three, if possible, always run A-B split test. Now, let me back that up. That doesn't mean you can't do multifactorial. Which um, Actually, A-B split, just to get technical with you, is, is, is a single factorial test. And, uh, and what you call multivariable or multivariant is called a multifactorial test in testing vernacular. And we're not saying you can't run any multifactorial. What we're saying is don't run sequential tests. Now, you might be saying, well, what is sequential tests? A lot of uh, people on the Internet now put up the page, run it for a week, take it down, put up page two or the treatment, run it for a week, and then compare the numbers. Look, I have done that when there was no other way, and then I've carefully parsed the data. I'm not saying that's never uh, possible to do accurately, but I've got to tell you, sequential tests are replete with danger. Avoid them if you can. This brings me to another point. Use media tracking tools if you plan on testing around search terms impacted by the media. We had to set up alerts that would allow us to track the word predator and sexual offender. And we found that when we were running experiments regionally, that there might be a big story somewhere in Minnesota that impacts all the paid search results within uh, Minneapolis. And so we had to be careful as we were conducting our tests. But alerts can help you be uh, aware of these threats as they come in. And number four, monitor for test anomalies. Look at this data set in front of you. Uh, if you were to watch it very carefully, it's a four-week email test with an e-commerce retailer. And in the first week, you can see uh, the pattern, but something goes wrong in the second week. And there's a dramatic difference. Watch that. As that begins to happen, it tells you there's something going on that's impacting your, your results. This is a good visual. Later, in fact, if you were to come to one of our certification classes, we'll take these graphs and show you four of them side by side and let you start picking out the one with a potential problem so that you can visually see it as well as go down to the data set and, uh, and discern it. So then, we're going to move on. But someone has asked seasonality. Does a valid test in the off-season translate to our busy season? And I've got an expert in... Uh, in uh, that area who will answer us, and I'm going to take you right after this to the second validity threat. Go ahead. This is Philip. That's a good question, Greg. The short answer is that sometimes. Uh, last year we ran a test with a partner whose business is very seasonal, and the test started right before Christmas and then ran for several weeks after Christmas, 
right before Christmas, the visitors were very motivated to make a purchase, and the treatment wasn't very different from the control. After Christmas, the visitors were less motivated. Flint talked about how important motivation is in the heuristic. And the treatment performed much better than the control. Generally, findings from tests which address motivation will translate less from the off-season to the, the busy season. And finding related to things like clarity of the value proposition, friction, anxiety, will translate better. But keep in mind that nothing can replace testing during the various seasons. And so if you've identified a seasonal pattern in your business, you need to replicate any off-season testing during your busy season to make sure that those results are valid for the different time periods. Sometimes the results will translate to your busy season, but you don't know for sure until you run a test during your busy season. Uh, I would pre-test before the season, but let's take holidays. Christmas is coming up. Do you, you do realize that paid search traffic has higher motivation in the holiday season. And I have seen people, and this is where they really get in trouble, I've seen them take the test results during the holiday season and make decisions for January and February based on them, not realizing that the intense motivation at that time of the year is skewing their, their results and will impact them so that when people have less motivation, suddenly anxiety, friction, and, and problems with the value proposition become... Uh, much more uh, impactful on the conversion. Philip, uh, I've seen him, by the way, take a whole huge, uh, I'll call it um, mess when it comes to numbers and come back and ask these penetrating questions about seasonality that I, you know, you wonder how he figured out there was seasonality, but it was all there hiding in the data set. And uh, we need to pay attention to that. Good question, Greg. We're moving on. Let's look at point two, instrumentation effect. How many of you are instantly familiar with instrumentation effect? More people can guess this one than historic, but I'm going to take you straight to a classical definition. This is the effect on the dependent variable caused by a variable external to an experiment which is associated with a change in the measurement instrument. Have you got that? Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you've gotten all that you... Uh, they're laughing at me. Clearly, that's one of those beautiful uh, academic statements that requires a lot of parsing again. And so we turn over to our interpreter, uh, copywriter Paul, who says, if something happens with the testing tool that causes flawed data in the test. Thank you, Paul. Uh, I'm going to start calling him Dr. Paul now that he has. Uh, uh, so uh, Dr. Paul tells us that uh, everything up above can be understood with a simple sentence down below. So learn that and let's do the same thing we did on the last point. Let's look at an example and then let's learn how to prevent it. Before I go there, will the audience give me some feedback with a Q&A? Tell me if I'm going at the right pace for you. Am I too fast? Is this just right? Are you learning? Are you liking this? I need to optimize my presentation live based on your feedback. And since you're not in the same classroom with me, I need to see your response. So, Paul or Luke, let me see how the audience is responding. And just quickly tell me with the Q&A feature how this is going for you. Awesome, awesome, good pace. Keep going. Excellence, etc., etc. All right, good. Looks like positive feedback. Would my team continue to monitor that and look for any negative feedback? And let's keep rolling. All right. So I want to take you then to an, another example. And it is a completely different test, but it is with the same group. Sex Affinity Registry for, uh, again, the same service. And the goal here is to increase conversion. And we have two landing pages and we're looking for the landing page that will produce the most click through. So we have uh, the control and the treatment. And you'll notice there are boxes. Those boxes are not part, at least the red and blue and green outlines are not uh, 
And it looks like purple. Red at the top. So see there where it says the values and then the blue. And then there's kind of a green and a purple and a red. Those are the areas, the variables. We're doing something in this test unique. It's a single factorial design, which means it looks like an A-B split test, but it's deploying variable clusters, which means in some ways it feels like a multivariable test. One of my favorite ways to test is using single factorial with multivariable clusters and then isolating within those clusters in the subsequent test. Remember, the goal is to learn the most. This is one of the ways to learn the most fast about your uh, customer. Keeping that in mind, we discovered that in the testing as this began, and I want to show you this because here is the actual, you know, the test itself, and we're excited about what's going on. And then we have a discovery that's starts to skew our understanding. This is really hard for me to explain. And I don't have the, the, the oratory skills of Austin. So I'll do my best. Uh, but Austin, I'll let me let, come in behind you. Tell, tell us what happened. Well, essentially, uh, and this is a classic. This was, like you said earlier, this was an older research partner we're working with. It's, a, it's, a, um, it's an older test. Uh, but what we discovered is that there was a fail-safe issue for this test, the way that the, the, the tool worked is that if for some reason the treatment did not work, did not run, did not load, that it had the control kind of in the background ready to put that up for the visitor. So there was, there was always this backup option for the control to show if the treatment did not. And what that meant was that it was storing, you know, five other elements at the same time. The control didn't have that issue because it was just the control. But every time the treatment was shown, there was five other elements that it would have to load at the same time. And so what happened, and again, this was an older test, is that it affected load times significantly. And I think the next slide shows the differential in the, uh, the load times. So look carefully because um, you're looking right now at actual load times and uh, between the control and the treatment page. And Austin's explanation is, it was, uh, is very precise and it's exactly what happened. Uh, I remember this and I remember uh, our team trying to frantically figure out, first of all, what was going on. Because sometimes you just know from experience that, you know, version B should probably produce a lift of X. But you're always, you know, between those two qualities of a marketer, you're ready to be shown you're wrong, but you really got to be proven you're wrong before you adjust your whole meta theory. And what's going on is we're like, no, this shouldn't be. And then we saw the load time issues. And uh, you can see the much longer load times of the treatment by looking at these two red boxes over the control. Any Anything you want to add to that, Austin? No, you can just see at the bottom that, I mean, depending on what kind of connection they had, they could, they could have up to, I mean, you know, they could have up to like 30 seconds delay. They could have, I mean, on average, I think it was about 10 second delay. Right. But, uh, I mean, they, depending on their connection, they could have a pretty significant delay. So what, what, what you'd see in the testing tool is that many more people clicked away from the uh, treatment and didn't buy when actually they never even read the treatment. And so your data is skewed. So the question is, how do I keep from uh, having an instrumentation error. I could tell you story after story. I want to say to you that this is the most common error. I think it's going to happen more frequently than your historic effect if you're setting up everything right and testing in tight cycles. Uh, now, in some companies with some products, that's not the case. But for many of you, this is the one you should be fixing right now. I did a major series of tests for the New York Times. We run right now 150 of their paths on our own servers as we continue to conduct testing. And... Uh, I remember last year where we kept getting skewed results. And what we found is that a leading testing tool, I could tell you the name. They're a big tool and they're an expensive tool. I won't tell you the name because I don't want to hurt the, the, the company. But they had code implemented wrong on the New York Times website and it was skewing all the results. 
You've got to really watch for this. So the question becomes, how do I protect myself? And I'm going to go down a list of simple things you can do right now that will help protect you. Number one, set up secondary backup metrics. A good example of this is Google Analytics. Now, the good people at Google, when I've mentioned this in the past, I thought they would like me telling people this. They don't because they want to be your primary. They don't want to be your secondary. But I'm telling you the same thing I told them. You're still a good tool to put on there so I can look at the reading Google Analytics gives me and compare it to the reading I got from my other tool, whether that's Omniture or some other metrics program. The second thing is, and you know, I think most of you know this, but in case the audience isn't familiar with it, GA is free. It's not hard to implement. You can get it on your site and you can compare your numbers and look for differences. And by the way, there will be differences every time. You're not looking for the numbers to be identical, but you're looking for consistency in the differences. If one is over-reporting by 5% and consistently over-reports by 5%, you're okay. But if that starts changing all over the map, you've got a problem. But let's keep going. Match results to transactional data. What does that mean? It means make sure that your 40% gain is showing up on the P&L. Now, it might not if you're lead gen. I understand that. But at the end, you're looking at the actual trend. How many orders did I have today? And how does that look compared to what my test result tells me? So you're looking in your accounting program and you're looking in your testing program and you're saying, do they agree? The third one is test with a double control. And uh, a double control is a way to make certain that your data sets are accurate and to determine any differences in instrumentation. Shall we go into the design of that? Anybody want to talk about that for a moment? All right, let's keep going. If you have questions about a double control, uh, contact us and we'll try to help you. might be something we need to, if enough of you ask, we'll put it in the blog. If not, we'll just try to answer individually. Uh, number uh, four, monitor anomalies. Uh, those anomalies are some like we have demonstrated in the past where you saw a difference in the data. Frankly, when Austin told you the story at the beginning, his first thought was there's something wrong with the splitter. Because so often we find there's a problem with the testing tool, an instrumentation effect. It was not the problem. Technically, it wasn't the problem. There were some splitter problems, I think, but they weren't the dominant problem. Austin has a point. Keep going. Yeah, when we interacted with the analyst on this question, we asked them what, what validity threat did they experience the most. It was uh, instrumentation effect. Yeah. Now, that's across our team, running 1,200 studies this year, hundreds of experiments all over the world, and uh, their most common problem is instrumentation effect. That's a very good point, Austin. Let's go on. Number, uh, this is a question from Steve. What is the general quality of the A, B, and multivariate tools on the market? Do they really deliver valid results even at small sample size? <laughs> I didn't see that qualifier at the end until just now. Uh, right, we're going to go back to uh, Dr. Philip. Uh, Dr. Phil, as we like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for the first part of the question, the quality of the tools on the market, it's generally good. The market works. Tools that don't work stop being used. Tools that work get used more. Um, the second part of the question about valid results, even at small sample sizes, that's a little trickier. Valid results are a function of sample size and effect size. Sample size being how much data you've collected, effect size being how big of a difference it, there is between the control and the treatments. Um, as sample size goes up, the effect sizes that you need go down. Uh, conversely, at smaller sample sizes, you need to get a, a larger effect size to be able to see significant results. As long as your test has more than, than five successes for, for each of the control and the treatment, the most commonly used tests will generally work pretty good. When you get smaller than that, you run into a lot of issues, and there are some alternative tests that should be used in those situations. 
But for the most part, our tests have more than five successes for each of the control and the treatment. So generally speaking, most of the time, the, 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 uh, the tools that are out there work well and they will give you valid results as long as you've checked for some of these threats that we're talking about today. Um, now, I want to give you a caveat. I think Philip's answer was precise and I have no, nothing to add to it. But I want to say that despite the fact that we have tools that can work, we don't know, have people that know how to work them very well. And uh, look, uh, if this sounds like me uh, pitching a product for Mech Labs or something, uh, marketing experiments, I'm not because I don't really have anything but a certification course. And I promise you, it doesn't represent 1% of our revenue. But we do have a, 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 a certification course in uh, the fundamentals of online testing. We built it because we thought the, the, the market needed it so badly. Uh, we want you to, uh, I don't have a slide for it. I'm not selling it. I'm just saying take it because it will help you and recognize that what's going on right now is you're in the middle of a phenomenon. The Internet is a phenomenon. I watched it from the beginning. One day, uh, I, I want to do a story about how Mech Labs came out. We're the oldest and largest lab in this field. And when we first had a vision for what the Internet could be, you couldn't even put up a web page. There was no such thing. I was typing gopher strings in and, and beginning to sense the impact on broadcast. Some of you who are on this call don't know that you can go to the, our back library there and there's hundreds of hours of video and television footage because we pioneered the testing of video on the Internet and even worked with the networks. And some of the shows that you watch on TV even now grew out of our research in those areas. We never talk about that on these clinics. I'm only saying that to say this. Um, over time, we've learned a lot and now uh, we're excited to see people testing. I'm just afraid because uh, I think of uh, I think of all these marketers as uh, as my friends and some of you I hardly, I hardly know you personally but I mean it's why we it's why we exist as a company is to serve you and we're afraid that so many tests are being run right now that uh, are being run without people who've been properly trained and I talk to optimization personnel hired by a company as the director of optimization who don't know how to construct a robust test design and couldn't deliver a DOE. Now, if you're in optimization and you don't know what a DOE is, we already have a problem. But if you can't build a DOE, don't know how to build a DOE, you shouldn't be in optimization. You should come somewhere and get trained and then go back and help your company better. And I don't mean that. It may not be your fault at all. You may have gotten the job or put in the position. We just want to help you. All right, let's keep going. Selection effect. So uh, this is the third. I have 10 minutes. I will promise to put 15 to 20 minutes worth of content into the next 10 minutes. If you'll stay on to the last second, and I don't get any points or any money if you do, but if you'll stay on to the last second, we'll pack it with learning. Because we have 10 minutes and because I'm going to teach right up to the end, I do want to say this. Uh, I don't want to lose this time at the end, so I'm going to say it to you right now. For years, we did these clinics with no sponsorship and no. We, we've posted on the net $15, $20 million worth of research and you can access it at no charge. We've just taken our. Um, I know I'm going to get in trouble with primary research for saying this. We just put all of the marketing Sherpa case studies at your disposal at uh, full availability. We are, we're an institution, not a consultancy. And yes, we have a small part of our business, but we, we are focused on training and teaching you and uh, finally we have somebody that's actually sponsoring the clinics it's HubSpot so be nice to those people all this data that's coming to you today and all this teaching that's coming today is, is being enabled by uh, the first time the sponsorship that we've received alright so 
let me teach the final point as uh, carefully as I can. Let's begin. Here is one of those fancy definitions. The effect on a dependent variable by an extraneous variable associated with different types of subjects not being evenly distributed between experimental treatments or experiential treatments. Now, I read it fast. You understand uh, the, that it's, again, a technical definition, and if you're being certified by us, you'd have to know that. Other than that, it's very useful at parties. When you're going to meet people, you can use phrases like this to impress them with your skills and background. But this is what you need to know. Selection effect occurs when we wrongly or, or mistakenly assume some portion of the traffic represents the totality of the traffic. Big problem. Often it's a big problem. In fact, many times we run our test with our best list, not realizing that our best list is not our best representation of our overall traffic. And we will get a yield and a result and an exciting thing to report that doesn't translate when we push it all the way across the site because our best lists, our house lists, our best email lists are highly motivated. They have greater levels of trust for us. Many of them are previous customers. And they don't represent the marketplace that we're really trying to reach with a new offering. And uh, so be aware. Here's an example. Here's an e-commerce site focusing on special occasion gifts. This is test protocol 2047. We've tested uh, about 10,000 of these paths. And uh, this one was to increase click-throughs and conversion. And the question was, which email design will yield the highest conversion rate? And uh, so here's the control template. Here's the treatment template one and treatment template two. This is a series of tests lasting five weeks. We tested seven, seven different email templates and it was designed to test their most loyal customer segment. Below are examples of three. One, two, three, you got them. Let's keep going. Here's week one and week two and week three and here are the three emails within the series. You can see them. This is a cell. Nine emails on the screen and uh, the top would be your controls. This is what we were trying to beat. Let's continue and look at the data set. Success. A 74% increase in conversion. It's the kind of thing that you see regularly if you turn into one of our clinics and we show it to you and everybody says, what can we learn from this? And the answer is probably not what you're expecting. Sorry to say, um, we have a data problem somewhere. After a week of testing, treatment 2 converted at a rate of 74% higher than the control. But, notice this however, I hate the howevers. However, as the subsequent tests were conducted, there was a noticeable shift in results. Let's look at this. For the remaining test duration, the results never got above 7%, indicating something is wrong. And as we drilled down into the numbers, we learned that it was the selection effect concerning the distributed traffic directed to the control of week one. What am I saying here? Let's go back. So, we have essentially three paths being tested. And those paths are represented with these email designs. And we uh, look like we're getting a 74% increase. Notice CR. Uh, I wish you were in the classroom with me right now. But 14.01%, uh, 17.06%, 24.38%. This is the conversion rate. That's the column you want to look at as you go to the next one. I'm flipping to the next column. Now we start to see a problem. Uh, above, you can see that the differences are not that high in week two. And in week three, so 24, 22, and 24, see how tightly, see how close they are? Look in the next week, 19, 19, and 20. 
Now, if I were to go back again, 14, 17, 24 have big differences. Week 2 does not look this way. Week 3 does not look this way. And so something is wrong with our numbers. Here's what's going on. During the first week, the treatments received evenly distributed traffic coming from a specific segment of frequent buyers. However, the control received traffic from a mixture of their frequent buyers and their general email list. Are you understanding? This is like Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. What's happening is the control didn't get a fair shake. The control got traffic that was mixed between highly loyal, highly motivated, and the general flow of traffic into their site. What was the difference? Well, as soon as that traffic leveled off and they all got three, all three paths got the same kind of traffic, we didn't see the big difference, we didn't see the big win, and we had nothing we could uh, brag about. Just a test that taught us something very important. And remember, the goal of the test is to get a learning, not a lift. The lifts will come if you get the learnings right. Um, so let's, uh, let's go back here for just a moment and uh, look at that test. This is what we really had. We had a dated flaw. We had a problem. And we had to start over again. But we'd learned something very important about parsing that traffic. So let's uh, point you to something. I'm just skipping right ahead. I want to help you. Here's a tool. You can download this. Uh, we think we already have you on our email list. So this is not uh, our attempt to capture email addresses this is us just trying to help the audience with a tool that will help you calculate statistical significance. You can download it right here at this link, marketingexperiments.com forward slash validity tool. Onward we go. Just get the tool. It will help you. Moreover, here is a key. Here are the three effects that you need to take back to your marketing team right now. And you need to say, look, this is what I learned today. And these are the three we've got to watch for. Moreover, you can get a copy of this clinic. Pretty soon we'll be releasing it online and you can share it. You sit down with your team and watch it again. Same audio with the same slides and you guys can, can you know, integrate this into your marketing culture. Uh, I want to end here. I want to thank you. If you uh, uh, enjoyed today, there's really one thing you could do for us that would make a great uh, difference here and that is tell someone about these clinics. We help them... Uh, once or twice a month, every month, releasing the latest experiments and briefings and discoveries. We've been doing them for years, and uh, we're trying to build and have been uh, pleased to discover that we can aggregate a huge community of marketers who are helping each other figure out what really works. That's our mission. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.